Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount, and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about capacity beyond demand with the help of special guest, Chris Fox of Fox Home Innovations in Manhattan, Kansas. Alongside Tim Fowler, I'm your co-host, Greg Wallach. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hey everyone, Tim Fowler here, and welcome to another, I hope, great episode. Keep sending your ideas in, love to hear from you. If you just want to tell me how great the show is, yeah, send me an email. I'd like to hear that too. Tim at remodelersadvantage.com. So in episode 181, January 7, 2022, on this show, I uh, took some time. I was speaking with Chris from Fox Home Innovations in Manhattan, Kansas, and we were talking about the challenge of hiring an estimator. And in that conversation, he made a statement that kind of stuck with me. And I've, I've brought it up at a couple of different times with different people in different scenarios. But we were asking him, like, why now for the estimator? And he his designers had been doing the estimating. And so he, he's, he made this comment. He said, I wanted my designers to have capacity beyond demand. And that just struck in my head. And, and I, the more I thought about it, the more I thought about how it might be really important for us to talk about that again. So I thought about how demand, particularly in the production side of things, but in sales as well, has dramatically increased over the last several years. And we continue to struggle with bringing on uh, skilled help. And so I thought this might be a good time to talk about this concept. So what I see typically in companies, and primarily if they're driven by sales, and you know, I hate to say it like this, but you know what? Mostly companies are driven by sales. There's an increase in sales, but there is not a an increase that ma- matches up in the capacity of the production team to actually produce those sales. And what I hear quite often from project managers, lead carpenters, even business owners, the conversation kind of goes like this. Sales is selling more work. And so they'll pull the project managers or the lead carpenters together and they'll say, hey, do you think you could take on one more job? If everybody, if, if the three of you could each take on one more job, and it might be five versus four or three versus two or six versus five, it doesn't really matter. But almost everybody within a company will say something like, sure, no problem. But deep down inside, and I think in hindsight, maybe more so, because we're all company, we're company players. We're we're willing to, you know, help out any way we can. But what we find out is that when we do that, it seriously compromises the ability to manage the jobs, the number of jobs that we are already working on. And then we have that inevitable frustration with budget slipping, the client experience dropping. We see that quite often. And very often the morale of the team just slumps off. And so this is often 
We try to correct this with what I'm going to call a pep rally meeting. Rah, rah, we're great. You know, we can do this. This is, you know, let's, we can, we can make this. This is only for a short time. We can win this game. Hopefully I didn't overdo that. Or maybe we offer money. We got like, we can do a bonus, you know, if we do this, or maybe just as simply as like, let's take everybody out for beer. We'll, you know, we'll have a good time and everything will be resolved. And the solution really is to figure out what the capacity for different components of our company is, and then stick with it. Don't exceed that. So I know everybody out there, I hear you yelling at me. Easy to say, very hard to do. And so I've asked Chris to come back on and not to put too much pressure on you, Chris, but answer all my questions and solve <laughs> all the listeners' problems. So life will be grand from here on out. Greg, let's go ahead. Thanks, Tim. Chris Fox founded the company, Fox Home Innovations, in 2009. As the face of the company, Chris leads the sales department. He and the leadership team are looking to hit their big goal, capital letters, of 90% self-performed revenue by 2026. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me, guys. Happy to be here. I don't, I don't know if we'll solve all the world's problems, but <laughs> hopefully we can at least plant some seeds and create some ideas. So, You know, I find sometimes just talking about them creates solutions. You know, you get this conversation going. Yeah. We'll start their brains kick in and they start thinking about. And I, that would be my goal for this podcast is absolutely listeners out there sitting down and saying, what do you think about this? And how do we determine capacity within within our company. So absolutely really quickly, Chris, we got a little bit in the, in the intro, but tell us about Fox home innovations, the volume, the people you have that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in a uh, small market of Manhattan, Kansas, about 50,000 people. Uh, we do about five and a half million um, in total revenue. We're design build. So we've got um, two designers on staff and, um, then we've got a estimator on staff that supports the front end project development team with sales design and estimating. And then the production side, we've set up where um, our general manager, my business partner, Matt Carlson, oversees kind of the company at the general manager level, but he also sits in the seat of the production manager piece. Um, and then he has two project managers that he direct reports with him. And then each of them have carpenters out in the field. So that's kind of how we set up as kind of uh, Greg mentioned, you know, our one thing we recognize is we're definitely a people-centered uh, business. We're all about our people, our the community, the people that we work with, as well as our customers. And so to be able to serve more families, um, we have this big idea of self-performing more work to create more experiences, both internally and externally, uh, to make people, by, make by lives better, basically. So that's kind of what our big move is. Um, and it's a direct lead-in, just as you hinted there, Tim, on this idea of, hey, maybe just sitting down and thinking about this, um, someone can get some ideas. Well, the, the biggest problem is no one has the capacity to sit down and think about it critically. Right. So we're we are big on, okay, why not? Because those are that 5% of time that you find the year is usually where the, where, where the sauce is made, where, where those big things come up and those initiatives start driving from. Um, and so how do we get and bolster more of that? Okay, so when we talked about the designers getting out of the estimating and bringing on the estimator, um, you mentioned this phrase, so these, these three words, capacity beyond demand. And so 
what is that? And what were you looking at with your designers? What were you trying to achieve by taking the estimating off of them and getting into this capacity beyond demand? Yeah, so I think that where it starts is, you know, at the end of the day, there's there's just a designer, one person, right? There's just you, Tim, just just me as Chris, right? And we can only give ourselves so much. Like there's so much that we can give to our work, our family, our faith, our hobbies, all that type of stuff. So trying to understand, you know, the, the time that we don't get back, where is that being spent? And so in the designer specific area, we are growing. We are seeing a lot of uh, added demand on the work side of things. And so it was either, okay, well, look at the, the tasks that they are doing inside of a project lifecycle and take stuff away to increase capacity to do the things that they're really good at, or we hire more of them. Um, and that's kind of the age old thing, right? I mean, the same thing can go be applied to project managers, carpenters, really any position in any industry is what are the tasks they're doing? Can they get rid of them? A lot of times our exercises we go through is delegate and elevate. So we have all of our key people, you know, basically create a, a task list every year of what are some of the things that they're doing and then recognizing what are the top four or five things and holding them accountable to, hey, I want you to delegate these four or five things this year. And over time, that turns into another position or it turns into an automation uh, with software or whatever the case may be. So um, it really is kind of people-centered on this idea of, you know, making sure that they have the capacity to do what they're good at, what they enjoy doing, um, as well as the big problems, right? And so, you know, if a designer in this specific case is completely taxed out and we have, as sales has a unique opportunity to get a project done in a timeline to make a customer experience, you know, through the roof and production has the capacity to do it, but our bottleneck is design, well, that poses a big problem, right? Um, and so having that, capacity or headroom, as we'll call it, to take on projects as emergency for professional development and training for, um, you know, the other idea of like you lose a designer in that case. And now you've got one person there that has to rejuggle all that. Well, if they're already maxed, max, 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 like it's it's just not going to be done or not be done well. Um, and so that that's a big thing that we look at. So I'm keying off a little bit your comments uh, as you were leading into this where um, you know, we we all have this max capacity, and if we're just working, 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 maybe that big idea doesn't generate. And I remember when I was a production manager, you know, people ask me all the time, like, how did you think of all the things that you teach other people? Now, first of all, I didn't think of all of them. I stole them from some. Oh yeah, them. absolutely. Yeah, some, some of them. But I did when I was a production manager. I had what I called free time. And so when I was in the office and I didn't have a task to do, I was allowed the opportunity to think about like, how can I make this better? And what would, what would improve this? And what would, you know, how can I, and, and it was out of those moments that I tried a lot of things. Some of them didn't work. Some of them did work, but I got the opportunity to think beyond what I just, I have to get this task done. And I think that's another kind of component of this. Yeah, I agree. And I think like that plays directly into your your phrase of let's remove the language of saying it is what it is. Right. Um, it's like, let's not look backwards. Let's look forwards. Let's not focus on the solutions, you know, the, the problems that are right in front of us. Let's focus on the problems that we're going to see three to six months down the road. And if we solve those inherently, that's going to trickle down. 
And so that's, you know, that's a, a huge key thing. And it's, there's many books written on this idea of the urgent, but unimportant and the urgent and important and the very important, but not urgent. And so the more time we spend in that not unurgent, very important task, the more time that we can think critically in that area, um, that's, that's good for both personally development and growth, but also usually the organization gets uh, some really, really great returns um, from creating that capacity of thinking critically that way. All right. So save that thought because I want to get back to what are the returns for a business owner. Yeah. So you know what? Hey, you're asking me to spend you know, enough more overhead dollars to put somebody in a position so my designer can just sit there and daydream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you didn't say it that way, but I can, again, feel 100%. feel the world behind me saying these kinds of things. But you're a business major, right? When you're in college? Yep. Yes, sir. So is, is this a business concept that the remodeling world has missed? Or is this something that you and your think time came up with? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think the idea is um, it comes down to scalability. So when you look at scaling a business, scaling, you know, whatever you're trying to scale, um, you got to recognize what are the widgets that goes into that to create that scalability plan. And in our industries, construction, especially it's, it's time, it's skilled, it's skilled time on projects, critically thinking and that type of thing. So if that's our, if that's our root, you know, definition of what we've got to scale, then we've, there's always the way to look at more efficiencies and create different efficiencies from that automating type of thing. But at the end of the day, you still have to have more people if you want to do more things. Um, and so what we've found on or where we've shot our foot in the past is, you know, five or six years ago, especially, we were in the situation where we were growing, we were growing, we were seeing, you know, all these project opportunities. And then we would lose a designer because they had a family move. And then it shot the foot in the, in six months worth of revenue that we had to figure out and work ourselves through. Or we found out that we had to, you know, we lose a, it's a lot easier to lose, have three project managers and lose one opposed to have two and use, lose one. Right. And, you know, some of that comes into risk analysis as well. Yeah. Do I want to carry another salary on, on half I need to? Well, no, obviously the goal of business is to cr- increase create the biggest ROI we possibly can. Uh, but at the same time, when you factor in risk of that and what can happen if you do lose those key people, um, you know, it's it's not pretty. I mean, I've had several years in the past where we go, we're steaming right, right along, we you lose a key person. And next thing you know, a quarter is just completely shot. You know, yeah. the revenue isn't there, the, the production you know, churn isn't there, but yet the overhead expense still is and everything else is kind of kind of going. So kind of, a, a, you know, from a business principle standpoint, it's really alleviating risk. Um, that's a big piece of it. The other part of it is, is culture based too. burnout's a big thing. Yeah. Um, so when people are, are rocking and rolling, you know, 99% of the time, and there's not that capacity to, to take a breath or life hits or whatever the case may be, that adds stress kind of creates that that next level area where now you're moved from proactive thinking, doing my job, now you're in survival mode. And so we we recognize, you know, and, and culturally, both internally and, you know, kind of here in the U- U.S. that 
Um, you know, people, when they get in that survival mode, usually they're not making the best decisions. Uh, they're looking for any shortcuts they possibly can. Um, it's negatively affected on health, um, family, all of it. And so if we can try to keep our people out of operating in that, you know, top 10% of survival mode, um, then it's better for them, which in their, in return is better for us. And so that's, that's kind of where that whole principle is kind of born from a lot of pain kind of went through that whole thing. And, and I'll be honest too. I'm a, I'm a very much a person of like, how do we get it done the quickest, simplest and cheapest way possible um, where that's where a really good uh, balance of Matt, my business partner is, is he's very much, you know, like big vision. Hey, we need all these people doing these types of things. And when we have that figured out, imagine the things that they're going to be able to do with that extra capacity. Now we're going to be able to go to that next level or, or whatever the case may be because there's capacity there created for that. So, so just following up on that, how do you, how do you create this for an employee that they show up at seven in the morning and they're not, they're working till seven and you keep telling them, look, we, you know, that's not your work day. Your work day is seven to three thirty, or or yep. that kind of thing. But it's just in their brain that if they don't work twelve hours, they really haven't produced. How do you get them to think about? That's tough. That, yeah, that shutdown time, if you will. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, you know, obviously we want to create. You know, anybody that comes to work with us, we want you know, want them to have a really good work life balance. And typically, you know, all of our um, direct reports that we have that we're working with and our, you know, we'll do a monthly one-on-one -on -one check in basically. And then with my direct reports, I do a weekly check in, see kind of what's going on. And usually it's, you know, half of that time is spent talking about what's going on in their lives, what's happening. And the longer someone works for, you can recognize, you know, what's stressing them, what's not stressing them and that type of stuff. And um, I've had employees in the past where they're very task driven. They just don't feel like they've succeeded unless their tax, their tasks are, are checked off. They don't feel like they can go home unless those tasks are checked off. Right. Um, and because that's what they're living for. That's that, that, that's central of, of recognizing that those tasks are done there. So it's our job as leaders then is like, okay, well then I, if that's how you're going to operate, I got to recognize and I got to decrease your tasks. And so, you know, I've got to step in and, and have a little bit more control in that. Whereas other people, it might be more of just a permission thing of like, Hey, you know, we're going to be okay. You don't need to do this. I, I would love for you to plan some time to get out of here at two o'clock in the next couple of days or in the next couple of weeks. Right. So some people it's like, Hey, I know I'm taxed. I know what's going on. I know it's busy, but I, ha I don't have permission. I don't feel I've had that communication and they're not willing to come forward and say, Hey, I need a break here. I'm, I'm overdone. Right. Cause they don't want to pass up a promotion opportunity or a raise opportunity or feel like they're not contributing as a team member. Um, but it's our job as leaders to make sure that they feel welcome, that they can kind of have that. So, you know, based on that personal profile and how they, that relationship, you can start to recognize, you know, what, where, you know, how you can help them. And I think with every employee in my experience is it's always different. Um, and we have to invest in our people because everyone, everyone ticks off, you know, clicks, clicks the box differently. Um, speaking to production itself, it's a little bit harder. Yeah. Because 
you know, you see the whole global and so here's this project. It's got to be on schedule. This is the project and more or less with the project managers is even one of my project managers right now is running with some pretty big weather delays that we're running into. And he's like, I put this schedule in place for the company. I put this schedule in place to the client. I'm stuck in the middle and there's things that I can't control. And yes, there's some things I can look forward in the future to condense and get back on the track. But that pressure, right, is real. That's there. Um, and yeah, I've had project managers say, okay, I'm just going to work in the field three days a week to get us caught back up on schedule. Um, that's fine to a point, And sometimes there's a reason for that or a need for that. Uh, but I've also had a project manager in the past that would, you know, would go to his home wood shop at night and weekends and would start building mantles and all these little things. He, we had this project two, a couple of years ago where we had this little shed we were doing for a client, a past client of ours. And he he preassembled and built it, you know, all on, in his shop and disassembled it in pieces and put it on a trailer on a weekend so that he could just go, his guys could just pick it up and go throw it together in a couple hours. So, you know, that wasn't asked to him. That wasn't, you know, what are the case may be, but that's where that pressure came from. Um, and so that's, that's a tough thing, especially because capacity is not quantitative. Yeah. That's probably the biggest, the biggest hardest part, which you kind of hit on in your intro is like, how do you measure it? What does that even, what does that even mean? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering if, do you have any examples? I know when, I mean, uh, for the listeners out there, uh, Chris and his uh, estimator come on and help us with an estimating uh, uh, class that we do. And in that discussion, they can point very specifically to the, the betterment, if you will, of the net profit because they put an estimator in place and let the designers design. Any kind of measurable things that you could point to that says, we believe or we know that the client experience is better because of this or the net profitability is better because mm -hmm. of this? Is there anything like that you can share with us? You know, I think the biggest thing that we could see is, you know, especially on the production side is the schedule. Um, when there's capacity in our own field labor and there's capacity in subcontractors, um, scheduling is easy. It just goes, it goes to schedule, right? There might be, there's always going to be small tweaks in here and there, but you know, if, if, if the schedule goes, you know, if, if we're on schedule, then we're, we're being profitable because those tasks are lining up. And if we're being on schedule and we're profitable, we're, we're happy. And, and also the client's happy because there's pro their projects on schedule. So that sense of stress of running to one thing or not is, is completely decreased when all that stuff happens. And so that's probably the biggest one. It's a little bit intrinsic, but right. at the same time, like you can definitely feel it. Like right now, currently we've got several projects uh, that carried over the winter longer than we wanted to. We had some natural attrition of labor um, between oh, November, November and, and to now basically. And we decided to wait to hire everybody new, new replacements until after the first of the year. So that's what we're going through right now. Well, our project managers have really felt that lack of labor in the field because right. uh, scheduled hours don't meet, don't match available hours to, you know, and that type of thing. So that's a, that's a feeling that we're getting. And if you, one of the metrics that we track every single week is days on and off schedule. Um, so our metric is 10 days. So we look at all of our projects. Our project manager has to put together a report every week on where that are, they're out on their schedule, if they're ahead or, or behind. 
Um, and then we average that. And for the last probably year, we've ran anywhere from plus two days ahead to minus five or six days behind uh, collectively. And this morning our numbers came out and we we're at negative 10. Um, and that's kind of our, okay, what's going on here? Now we know the, the main problem there has to do with, well, let weather's one and two labor um, availability. And so we're fixing those things, but that's probably one that we can definitely quantitate, right? Um, and really, well, that's what we're looking at capacity as a whole, not necessarily individual positions, but the production team as a whole. What's that capacity look like? And if I gave, and if I get, came to them from sales and said, here's this project that's ready to go, I need it to start February 1st, they'd say, uh, how the heck do you expect me to do that, right? <laughs> so um, that's going to so, be my, that was going to be my question. Like everybody comes yeah. to me and they go like, how many jobs can a project manager run at one time? And, yep. you know, I, I, in my world, I, sometimes I deal with companies where the project managers are doing $1.5 million projects. Mm -hmm. And then I know for you guys, it may be more like $120,000 projects. Yep. And so I know there's a lot to do, but how do you define how many jobs a project manager can take on? And then how do you control the process so they don't sort of get another one because we can't say no? Yep. Yep. Good question. So when we think about projects, we kind of go back to our core values and communication is extremely important to us. And the expectations I set with our client around communication, um, you know, that's what makes us unique. That's one of our, our big uniques here is how we communicate our clients, what that looks like. And, and that takes that personal touch. And it also takes investing in that relationship with that customer and, and that sort of thing, too. And what we found over the years is that one person doesn't matter what position they're in. They can effectively provide that level of communication with five to seven people at a time, you know, from from a from a weekly basis. And so, you know, our designers manage five to seven clients at a time, no more than seven, ideally five. Um, and anything past that goes in backlog and it slides in once the other one's done. And we treat production the same exact way. Um, they're running five to seven projects at a time. Anything else is in backlog or in queue. Um, and we've automated some communication touch points around that with our customers to kind of keep them in the loop of, yeah, we're still on schedule for starting in May or whatever the case may be. Right. Um, but that that's what we found um, is successful. Now, as of benchmarks, one of the things that we're we're really open and honest with each other, and we have a a team meeting every single week. That's um, production, so it's both project managers, it's both designers, it's the estimator, and it's both salespeople. So all key players when it comes to project development and project execution is in a room, and we treat each other all as equals, and that trust is built there. So if, if one of us speak up, speaks up and says, "I cannot physically." get this ready project ready for handoff when you're planning to start it, you know, okay, well, is there things that we can do to change that to help support you so that can happen? Or is that just reality and we'll adjust accordingly. And so having that open communication is probably the biggest thing. Um, and creating that trust, like that whole five assumptional levels of a team trust is first, um, then conflict. So if we have trust, in other words, everybody believes that they can bring up their own issues and that sort of thing. 
um, then we can have that conflict if it makes sense to take on another project or not. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes I'm as a salesperson and company owner, I get my heart broke because I'm like, guys, this is such a cool project and opportunity, but we have to have it done by September 1st. And for that to happen, we got to start now on this piece of it. And they're like, no, no, no. And it's like, okay, for the betterment of the team and what we're doing here, then that's what it's going to be. So. Yeah, Chris, I was, I was curious as, as you're, you know, rolling this out and you're building this buffer in for your teams, lack of better term, have, have you had any direct feedback from say the design department? Are they feeling, uh, feeling better about the work they're doing and, and is the work better? Is, is there a, yeah. you know, a customer experience part of this? I think absolutely. I think the, um, you know, and you met Becca a little bit, Becca has been with us for, Oh gosh, eight, nine years now, a long time. I mean, she is, she is the sole one that helped us create the design department. Um, and what's interesting about Becca is she's, she's a very task driven person. Um, and so if it's in front of her, she's just going to do whatever it takes to get it done. And that's something we've had to work a lot together on in the past of, you know, managing those expectations with reality. But we've also been in situations where we're ramping up a hiring people and a designer, we had a designer move, three or four years ago or it was, and she had to take the brunt of absolutely everything. And it was a very big, noble thing of her because typically I, myself, in my background, I would step in and take projects on and I would be a designer and run, run projects and that type of thing. Uh, but she was like, that's not the best for us and me and the customer. That's not gonna give, You're not going to give the best experience of what a designer truly does and how we do it. And so I'm going to choose to take it all on. I'm going to manage a schedule and, and make it work. And I mean, she busted her tail for six months until we got someone hired and onboarded to, to help her out in that role. Um, and so I, I share that just because when we think about, um, you know, recognizing if, uh, you know, if people are beyond that capacity, you know, they're not going to do the tasks that the best they possibly can. Right. And so the output isn't going to be near as clear and near as it could be. Um, one of the things that, as you ask, like, has someone ever brought that to you? Like, I remember Becca coming to me specifically and like, hey, I am losing the capacity to think, you know, outside the box. Like I'm looking at what's the least path of resistance from a layout option that checks all the boxes. I am losing my point to be creative. And it's like, OK, well, that's why they're coming to us. So that's a problem. Like it's our job to recognize what their pain points are and create solutions, but it's also, it's very much just to present solutions in different ways, you know, different layouts, different options. So, you know, in our design process, we present three different layout options based on every project. Um, and that just wasn't able to happen at that point in time, that extra time and energy. So we were just servicing our clients in that perspective, um, you know, and there were some small tweaks and if they didn't like it, obviously we're not going to force them into, into it. Uh, but at the same time, we, we lost that ability to kind of create credit creatively and how that, that directly correlates is Becca's in that specific example. Um, we would present an option for a hundred thousand, one for 150 and one for 200,000. And most of the time the client would go with the higher, the higher cost option. Um, because it's like, oh, that's really cool. That's really going to make this project everything that I want. And so, you know, the added revenue and, and profitability that we've created just through design and areas like that to be able to think creatively, um, not being able to do that definitely, definitely goes down to the bottom line in the total revenue as well. 
So you you said something that made me think about the problem that I see with so many production managers, and that is they have a project manager leave. And so they have to jump back into managing jobs. Yeah. I'm starting to see that as a capacity problem. In other words, they've got the project managers just booked solid capacity. So you cannot, the other two project managers can't pick up what the third one was doing. And so Mm -hmm. somebody has to do it. And so the capacity beyond demand thing is starting to hit me with like, stay in your lane, you know, keep people focused on their job, but make sure that the people that are doing subordinate to them, if you will, I don't even like the word, but that are doing, you know, that report to them, make sure they have the capacity that when something does go wrong, it doesn't create a big trauma that pulls people backwards into another, another relationship. So, so, I want to finish up, uh, end up with this, Chris, and I, I, and everybody that listens to the podcast knows we have a little conversation, you know, ahead of time getting ready for this, but you mentioned trades and this can be a, another big problem. Cause I know when I was a production manager, we were growing and you go, I'd go to the plumber. I said, look, we're going to be doing like 10 more jobs next year. Are you going to be able to do all of our job? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No problem. Just make sure you just tell us, you know, about the. And then we get into it. And sure enough, we had we waited. You know, we waited. to. Yeah. yeah, they could do it, but not when we needed it done. So how do you deal with the capacity of trades? That's so tough. I feel like that's <laughs> like if I mean, I, we just got we do a, a send out a review questionnaire to our, all our past clients after a project's complete and warranty period and kind of celebrate it. And we just got one back from the, from this morning and glowing reviews highly recommend on every single thing. And we, we had one of the questions is, is like, if there's one thing that we could change that would be, make it better, what would it be? And their response was, well, the trades were just backed up and schedule was hard. And although it's out of your control, it pushed us back. And that was like one pain point that they had. Right. And it's probably the number one reason why our vision is this idea of creating a self-performing environment of 90% or greater. So we have control and accountability to what that looks like. But one thing that we've struggled with over the past is we, in a small town, you know, there's there's your established trades, but there's not tons. And even the established ones are, you know, they're four or five guy outfits. They're, they're fairly small. And one of the things we've gotten really good at is building relationships and really, you know, diving into that relationship to um, almost like letting letting our growth transfer to them. And when they really didn't want it, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And we've had issues in the past. So it's like, Hey, I appreciate all the work, but it's just, it's just too much. Like I can't, can't do it. And that conversation is always like way after the fact, right? It's never like looking ahead and being proactive. It's always way when there's a problem. Um, but one of the problems we've run into in the last couple of years is our project size has grown so much. And, you know, that has been a huge problem because there's still these crews that, you know, electricians, for example, we're doing a house project right now where a typical new home electrical or a big remodel electrical package might be $20,000 or something like that, $30,000. Well, this one's $120,000. Wow. Just electrical work. And it's a big project, right? So, but it's like, okay, in our trades that we've been working to, like, I want it. I definitely want it. It's a big project, right? But they don't recognize that, oh, that requires four guys on site for three weeks at rough end 
to make that successful. Right. Um, and so we have to have a lot of those conversations. Gino does a really good job of that stuff and the estimating piece of it when he's selecting trades to, to bid and look out at. It's like, this is your commitment. This is what this looks like. And so one of the things from an accountability standpoint we started doing is as we receive all our bid packages and builder trend, that's how we kind of receive all those now. And we require our, our trades to give us a projected um, number of days that they need for rough in and finish. Um, and make sure that it makes sense, you know, quantitatively to the project, make sure it fits in our schedule. And then when, you know, the project managers go to schedule it, like I've got you for 15 days, you told me it's going to be 12. I know there's things that happen. I want to put 15 here, 15 here, but I need it done in that 15 days. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? And so that, that's, that's how we've handled that. It's gotten a lot better. Um, but yeah, that's, it's tough, especially and depending on what it is, like, Painting has been a challenge. Drywall is always a challenge. I feel like that's a never-ending saga in our industry is drywall, but, you know. Well, uh, Chris, this has been absolutely fantastic. I I just think, if nothing else, we can at least get the conversation going and get companies talking about, like, what do we have to do to seriously think about the capacity of our team and allowing people a little bit of breathing room and yeah. and making sure that you know the mental health as well as the just the family life as well as just that problem of when somebody leaves you know what happens to their jobs i think that's a really key point of this i didn't really expect to come out in this but it it certainly does so i want to say yeah. thanks for being here this has been great uh, stimulating the conversation and and getting giving us some a few answers anyway. Absolutely. Hopefully it was a little helpful for the listeners for sure. So all right, Chris, I want to thank you for joining us today on the Tim Fowler show. We wish you continued success. I certainly hope you hit that goal you're looking for and self-performing work and look forward to having you back on the show in the future. Awesome. That was great guys. I appreciate it all and keep doing what you're doing. So Tim what did you take from this today? Well, there were just tons. I mean, there was so much that came out of it. I love the little, the little uh, catchy phrases like delegate to elevate, you know, that sort of, uh, that, that rings a bell with me. But I think this whole idea of scalability and what we deal with as our biggest problem is, I think what Chris said, skilled time. Time of skilled people is our biggest challenge to scalability. And so learning where in your company that this is what a person can do or a, a position can do uh, really is a unique thought, I think. Uh, we tend to just go like push, push, push. The more I push, the better off everybody's going to be. And kind of looking at that scalability, I really like the idea of of giving people the time. And maybe another good example would be, hey, we need you to get eight hours of work done, physical work done, but we also need you to upload pictures and we need you to do job logs and we need you to communicate with the client and we need you to, and we need you to, and we need you. And it's like, and now you got to do nine hours of stuff in your regular eight hour day or 10 hours of stuff. Instead of saying, you know what, maybe the capacity is less because we're asking, particularly like lead carpenters, project manager, to do more administrative stuff. 
So the capacity of building something has to has to give way. I agree. And and I, you know, so many of the owners uh, within our modelers advantage, you know, their core values, you know, Chris mentioned that those are important to, to run in the business. And um, I love the fact that he, he uses that when he's, you know, thinking of his, of his people. So it's, it's a great place to be. Yeah. I mean, uh, just the question of how many jobs can you do? You know, it wasn't like, well, we can do each project manager can do a million dollars worth of work a year or 2 million or 5 million or whatever it was. It was like, well, when we talk about that, we talk about communication. And I went like, communication? It's like, that's not the thing. But when you stop and think about it, it is the thing. And and you've got this person, who this business owner, Chris, who's saying, the key thing for our business is the communication. And so what we want to think about is not dollars, not, you know, site meetings, not, you know, none of those structural things, but it's like, how many clients can a project manager, a designer work with at the same time and still do effective communication? Now their number, you know, five to seven, uh, I think he said we prefer five, <laughs> which I would, <laughs> which I would prefer to, but still they've done some work with this and they have a number that they're comfortable with. And then you, you couple that with this meeting that they have of the stakeholders on a weekly basis. And I'm going, we're going to have to trust Chris on this because the ability for someone to say, no, Chris, you got that great idea. It's a wonderful job, but no, you can't promise them will be done by school start because that's not possible with what's going on. The ability to talk like that and work together. And here's the kicker for me. And, and I want everybody to know, I love people who run businesses. It is hard. It is hard to do, but sometimes you got to get out of your own way and let your team help you, especially if you're selling. Because sometimes we can overrun the capacity of our team. They'll try hard, but they fail. And we just have to let them help us not get ahead of ourselves. I think Chris is doing a great job of that. All right. Well, once again, we'd like to thank Chris Fox of Fox Home Innovations for joining us. And thank you for listening to another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. And remember, The Tim Fowler Show, we're working hard to eliminate... And Chris even mentioned it in this uh, this podcast, that nasty phrase, it is what it is, from your vocabulary. Take care, everybody. This has been another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. Would you like to hire Tim or myself to help fast-track your growth? Please send me an email, greg at remodelersadvantage.com for more information about our production manager and design manager roundtables, to get more information about consulting for your team, or if you have ideas for the podcast. Please subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening.